Hey friends, Nels here. Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. Today we're in a message series called Don't Feed the Wildlife. We all have beasts inside of us that we try to keep tamed and controlled, like lust, anger, pride, resentment, envy, and greed. Today we're looking at how to keep those beasts from running wild and ultimately how to kill them. Let's tune in. We work very hard at keeping it quiet, thinking we have it tamed, controlled, hoping no one will find out. We pretend we are normal, if anyone is really normal, but sometimes we let it out to run wild, heedless to the damage it is creating. We cover it up, make excuses for it, but we still feed it. What is your beast? Is it lust? Anger? Pride? Resentment? Envy? Greed? Are you ready to kill it? Great to see you, Journey. This is our second week of this series that we're calling Don't Feed the Wildlife. Now, uh, I'm imagining most of us have spent a, a good amount of time of our life in Montana. And so this whole staying away from wildlife thing is a little bit more intuitive to us. Uh, in fact, a lot of us right now are in that season of life where they're the hunted and we're the hunters. So they're, they're actually a little bit as, afraid of us. But not every person on the planet understands the dangers of wildlife. And this is what's true. If you go into Yellowstone Park tomorrow... They're going to hand you this packet of information at the gate. And inside that packet of information is going to be this flyer right there. They're letting you know that thing can kick. I think there might be a North Dakota State Iowa joke in there somewhere for football fans. But only the football fans would get that, right? That's right. Exactly. Right there. Love it. But the truth is, is that animals can be dangerous. This summer, we had the opportunity to spend a couple of days on vacation in Yellowstone Park, and we got that flyer as we went into the park. And so you're just thinking, people have heard about this enough. They're not going to do stupid things with animals. We were driving on a back road, and there was this massive, massive bison. I mean, they're all pretty big, but this was like a big one of the big ones. And uh, so we decided we were going to turn around to come back and take a second look at this bison. So as we turn around and come back, sure enough, there's a couple out there. And he's trying to get her to move a little bit closer to the bison so that he can take a picture. And of course, he's actually standing kind of behind a tree and a dumpster as he's motioning her to get closer. And she's backing up, backing up. And my kids are just beside themselves like, oh my gosh, people actually do that. And so they're getting out their, you know, cameras because they think they're going to witness something amazing. Uh, We are so grateful that nothing amazing happened other than maybe amazing stupidity. But we need to understand that there are beasts in our life. And that's what we've been talking about in this series. Last week, we were talking about a beast within. And when we were talking about the beast within last week, we were talking about what the Bible would call our flesh. Sometimes uh, a way that this is translated in the New Testament is our sinful nature. It's, It's this piece of our fallenness our brokenness that causes us to want to live our life independent of God. We just kind of want to do things our way. I want to do things on my terms. That's the beast within. 
But today we're going to talk about a beast on the outside of us. The Bible calls this beast Satan, the enemy, the evil one, the accuser. There's tons of names for this beast, but that's what we're going to be talking about today. To form a backdrop for everything that we're going to share today, I want to highlight just a couple of things that I shared with you last week. We won't redo that whole sermon, but there's something that I think is very important for us to have the mindset of heading into this topic. And that is this idea of this covenant relationship that we have with God. And last week, that's what we talked about. God relates to us in the context of covenant. And biblically speaking, this is what we mean when we say that, is that God has decided in his sovereignty that he is going to establish a relationship with us and he is going to give us an identity. And that identity that God gives us is one of being a child, not any child, his child. God extends to us a covenant relationship with him, not based on anything that we did to earn or deserve that, but based solely on what he has done to meet the terms of the covenant through Christ and Christ's death on the cross on our behalf. And when we talk about this, what we're talking about here is the gospel, the good news of what it is that God has done for us. And that gospel comes only, only, only through God's grace. It's only by his grace. This is how the Apostle Paul explains this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. It says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. Paul wants to make it really clear. This identity that we have has nothing to do that, of anything that you've done to work for or earn it. But it's only out of God's gift to you that he adopts you into this covenant relationship with him. But out of this identity, friends, what we choose to do is we want to live a life of obedience. Meaning that because of what it is that God has done for us, his extending that covenant relationship with us, our response to that is that we want to walk with him. We want to obey him. We trust him because of what he's done for us. And this right here isn't because we have to, but it comes out of a heart of gratitude. It's a response of gratitude because of what God has done for us. And the way Paul talks about this idea of obedience is in the following verse, in verse 10. He says, for for we are God's handiwork or workmanships. He's crafted us, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That as we walk with God, as we walk intimately with him in this covenant relationship, we hear and respond to him and we follow him in obedience out of this heart of gratitude. Friends, this is the most basic way for me to explain the good news of the gospel. But the evil one, he often wants to distort things and try to get us to go around this triangle in the other direction in this way, saying that what is true is that it's my obedience to God 
that actually creates my identity. And friends, if we were to put a word on this, this is what we would call religion. Or this is what the Bible would call the law. And where the gospel brings life, what the Bible says is that religion and the law brings death. Jesus hammered against this when he was here. It's not our obedience that creates our identity because this right here would mean that we could earn something. If I do all the right things, if I do these things for God, then I can be his child. That is not how God works. He relates to us in terms of covenant. So we've got to understand, friends, if we're gonna relate to God the way that he has related to us, we've gotta let go of that religious heart, that desire to keep the law in order to earn something before God. That's what he wants us to grab a hold of. And this is what I want to be the backdrop for everything that we're gonna talk about today is this covenant relationship with God that comes to us through the gospel. But here's what I want us to think about is we're gonna talk today about this enemy outside of us that's called Satan, the evil one. That's what we're gonna talk about today. Because there's this beast that lurks outside of us. And this is gonna form the backdrop for what we're gonna talk about today. Because we're gonna start by looking at this idea that Jesus, at, look at the, the baptism of Jesus. At the very end of Matthew chapter three, we see this incredible picture where Jesus actually goes to John the Baptist and says, I need to be baptized by you. And John was like, you know, I, I don't think I should baptize you. I think you should baptize me. And, but Jesus said, to fulfill all righteousness, I need to be baptized. So Jesus was baptized. And when he came up out of the water, it says that heaven was ripped open and the Holy Spirit descended upon him and lighted on him like a dove. And then these words were said from heaven as heaven was ripped open in verse 17. It says, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. You see this picture of what's happening right there? God the Father from heaven speaking to Jesus, saying, this is your identity. This is who you are. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. And this is the backdrop for the scripture that we're gonna look at today, where the enemy comes then and tries to tempt Jesus. Because here's what he's gonna try to do. He's gonna try to go after the identity of Jesus. This is where he's gonna try to attack Jesus. Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 1. This is God's word. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. You can imagine I'd be hungry as well. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands 
so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended to him. I want us to just make some general observations around the evil one and how he works. One of the things we need to understand just from general observations of this text of scripture, we've got to understand that this enemy of us, this enemy of Jesus, this enemy of ours, he is real, he is personal, he is supernatural, meaning we can't see him, and he is incredibly powerful. Now, he has, his power is nothing compared to the power of our almighty God, but compared to us, he is powerful. And I imagine there might be some people, when I first start to even talk about this, that you're saying to yourself, really? Do you really believe in Satan? Do you think that's actually true? Like, aren't we a little bit more progressed as a people? Haven't we understood a little bit more about the world to understand that the things that we see going on in the world aren't as a result of a personal evil called Satan? I mean, aren't we a little bit old enough to not have to believe in the boogeyman anymore? Some people may be thinking that, but I've got to say as strongly as I can, I think we're naive if we don't believe in this personal evil that the Bible calls Satan. And you know, but you know who I think doesn't want you to believe in Satan? Satan himself. Because friends, if you know anything about him, he does his best work in the darkness. He does his best work in the shadows and we don't know when he's at work. But friends, we've, if we're gonna take our Bible seriously, we've got to understand what is going on as it relates to some of this demonic activity in ways that Satan is attacking people, even the Son of God in this text. I mean, just think about the number of interactions that Jesus had, not just the one I read about, but the subsequent interactions in his ministry. It's almost every other page you see him dealing with the demonic, casting out demons in very powerful, supernatural, and personal ways. The enemy is real. And I was just reflecting just a little bit on the Lord's Prayer. That's a, a place in Scripture that we've all, we're all pretty familiar with if we've grown up in church. What is it that Jesus taught us in terms of how to pray? What are the kinds of things that as we approach him day by day and several times throughout the day, what are the kinds of things that we should be praying about? That prayer starts off, Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Part of what we need to be doing is praising God for who he is. And then he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Praying that, God, we want your kingdom to come, your rule and reign to come to this place, just like it is in heaven. And then he says, give us today our daily bread, meaning that every day we need God's provision. We need him to show up and provide for us in dozens and dozens of ways. He says, invite that. And then he says, forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. As we pray to God, Part of what we're praying about is getting right with each other and getting right with God related to the sin in our life, confessing sin to God and to one another. 
And then he says, lead us not into temptation. Meaning we need to be led by God in this life. We need to hear his voice and know where it is that he's leading us. He's the good shepherd and we as the sheep, we follow him. But what's the last thing that he says that should be part of our normal prayer life day in, day out? He says, deliver us from the evil one. Friends, this is important to Jesus. He said, this should be a part of your prayer life, asking for me to give you protection and deliverance from this evil one, this enemy of your soul. And Paul talks about this as well. It's not just in the life of Jesus. Paul talks about how the evil one can even grab a hold of our life if we let him. In Ephesians chapter 4, 26 and 27, this is what Paul says. He says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And what Paul's talking about there, he's talking about unforgiveness. He's talking about this kind of root of bitterness that can grow up in us and our relationships between one another. And he says, if you let that happen in your life, you're opening up your life for the evil one to grab a hold of your life and get a toehold on you. It was very real to Jesus. It's very real to Paul. And friends, it's got to be very real to us. And this is what the enemy does. This is his tactic. Of all the things that he does, this is what he goes after. He goes after our view of God. And he goes after our view of ourselves. This are the angles that he attacks at. He wants to create questions in our mind about who God is, what he's like. Is he really for me? And he wants to create doubt in our life. Does God really love me? Do I really belong to him? Because if he can twist those things in our mind and we lose that perspective of that covenant relationship that we have with an almighty God, then his battle is half won. But this was his plan from the very beginning. His tactics haven't changed. If we go back to the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, attacking the identity of God, the character of God, and attacking our identity. That was his game plan way, way back then. Genesis chapter three, starting in verse one, you've heard this story. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, listen to this. Did God really say you must not eat, any, eat from any tree in the garden? What's he doing there? He's trying to get them to question God, question him. The woman said to the certain, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. That's his MO. That's what he does. What can he do to create questions in your mind about God? Is God really good? Is God really looking out for you? Are you going to miss out if you try to follow this God person in your life? I think you're going to have to look out for yourself. Don't trust him. Take your life into your own hands. It's the message that he says over and over and over again. And we see the response. Adam and Eve ate. But then what was their response after they ate? What was their response? Did they run back to God, confess their sin to him, try to restore that covenant relationship 
with him? No. Their response was, I'm going to hide. I'm going to stay away. I'm not going to run to my good father the way that he would want me to. I'm going to try to hide. I'm going to put fig leaves on myself to keep God from seeing me, so I think, and keep other people from seeing me. You see, this is like Satan's, it just looks like a one-two punch that he uses over and over and over again. And he can do it so well. On the one hand, the first punch is that temptation. That, you know, can I dangle something out there that will grab their attention to cause them to question God or to question who they are as God's child? Can I dangle that out there so that they'll grab a hold of it? And sometimes the things that he dangles are not necessarily evil or sin in and of themselves. But there are things that we grab a hold of and we start to chase those things and we miss what it is that God wants to do in our life. But here's what he, when he gets us to grab a hold of a temptation, whether it's evil or not, the next thing he does is he loses his tempter hat and he puts on the accuser hat. And he says, look at what you just did. Can, Can you believe what you just did? Would someone that has the identity of the child of God do that? There's no, look at your life. You're such a hot mess. Look at what you've done. It creates this doubt in our life. You know what you did. Imagine what it's like to have those kind of accusations as you're a pastor. When there's brokenness in my own life, and I don't try to hide that, you know that that's true. Where the evil one would want to say to me, you're a pastor. Look at what you thought. Look at what you said. Look at what you did. And now you're going to stand up on a stage in front of people and talk about God and how great he is and what a life surrendered to him looks like. Who are you to talk? Sit down and shut up. He goes from the tempter hat to the accuser hat. And both of those things, you put those together and it causes us to push away from God in our hiddenness, in our shame. And what God wants us to do is he says, no, restore that covenant relationship with me. Run to me. Be with me. That is God's heart for us. He is always going to attack your identity. He is always going to try to make you question, am I really a child of God? Do I really belong to him? And that's what we see in this scripture. He goes after Jesus in three different ways. He attacks his identity through his appetites, through his desire for approval and for his desire for ambition. And this is how he tries to attack Jesus and it's how he's gonna attack us amongst other things. The first one is this, that idea of appetites. Let's go back where we read before, Matthew 4, starting in verse one. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, listen to this. This is what he said. If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Goes right after his identity, doesn't he? If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. But Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God of God. Now let's just think for a second here. What is the last thing that Jesus heard come from the mouth of God? He heard God rip open heaven, yell down to him, you are my son. I love you. 
With you, I am well pleased. That was the last words that Jesus had heard from the voice of God before he was taken in to the wilderness. He knew his identity. That's what he was drawing on. I know who I am. I am the son of God. My father loves me. He's proud of me. And friends, the evil one is going to try to get you to doubt that. Does the father really love you? Is he really proud of you? Because if he can get you to get distant from him, we'll try to fulfill our appetites in other ways. Because that's what he's doing with Jesus. Jesus is obvious in this place where he's hungry. And he offers him bread. He says, make bread out of these stones. Now, there's nothing wrong with eating bread. He's not asking him to do something evil. But here's what he is trying to do. He's like, you can't trust God to provide for you. You've got to satisfy your appetites in your ways, on your terms. But Jesus said, no, I know what it is that fulfills me. Every word that comes from the mouth of God. Friends, every one of us, we've got appetites. We have hunger appetites. We have appetites for intimacy with people around us. We have appetites for sex. We've got appetites for comfort. But the question is, how are we going to fulfill those appetites? Are we going to fulfill those in the way that God has laid out for us? Are we going to trust Him to be the one to fulfill those needs in our life? Are we going to take our life into our own hands? I'll figure this out on my own. I'll meet my need for sex in my way. I don't care what your plan is around that, God. I'm going to do it my way. Intimacy, I'm going to do that on my terms, not on your terms, God. But Jesus showed us. We listen to God. We trust him for provision for every appetite that we have. But then the evil one didn't just stop there. It wasn't just about our physical appetites. It was about this desire for approval. Verse 5, it says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And here he goes again, questioning his identity. If you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, now, now Satan's using scripture and twisting it. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. This is a, a visionary picture that Satan takes Jesus. And a lot of commentators believe that what Jesus did was took him to the southeast corner of the temple, often referred to as the royal porch. And if you were to go to that corner, there would be a drop off off of the end of the temple, and then down off of a cliff, down into the Kidron Valley, a drop of about 450 feet. The historian Josephus, when he talked about what it was like to be on the corner of the temple, he said people would just get dizzy just from being up there and looking at that drop off. And here's what Satan is tempting Jesus with. He's saying, if you want the approval of people, if you want to be popular, if you want your message to get out there, here, here's what you need to do. Do a flip off of this, down that 450 feet. Allow the angels to come and protect you because you know that the Father is going to take care of you. He's promised to do that. You know that he's good. And then you are going to be instantly a rock star. Everyone is going to follow you. Instant approval. 
But is that what Jesus wanted? Was that the way that God had designed for Jesus to win the hearts of the people? There was a different plan that he had. Approval was going to come, but it was going to come in a very different way. But the evil one in our lives as well, he uses that idea of approval for us to get us to feed that beast within. Because sometimes that approval that we want of people around us, it could actually become like an addiction. The voice of people around us, it just becomes so valuable to us. It's like we've got to have their approval. They've got to approve of us in every way. Theirs theirs is the voice that matters most. And here's what happens when we start to long for that. Like we've got to have that approval of people around us. It starts to feed that flesh within us and can take us down these wrong roads. Think Think about just simply peer pressure. How many times have we done things, said things, been things just because of desiring to have the approval of people around us, that peer pressure? What about that that pressure to please people? Like, I just want people to like me. I want them to think I'm great. The things that we do to try to accomplish that. And we're just constantly asking ourselves, do people like me? Am I popular? Am I successful? Am I smart? We long for the approval of people around us and it become like a drug, an addiction. You know what it leads us down? Some other roads is some roads of deception. Because we're afraid if people really knew what was going on inside of me, they wouldn't approve of me. So we hide who we really are. We hide the things that are really going on inside of us. It leads to deception. It leads to gossip. Have you ever done this? Where you've got a piece of information that not very many people know And you just want to share it because you just think, if I share this with them, it's like I'm in the know, like I'm important. Aren't they going to like me? Aren't they going to approve of me if they know that I've got the insider information? And it just leads us to this place, friends, where we get incredibly selfish because we can't really love and serve people because we are so transfixed on what it is that other people are thinking about us, that we can't love and serve God and we can't love and serve people because we are so focused on ourselves. But what Jesus showed us is that in the midst of those kind of temptations to want the approval around us is this reminder that there's only one voice that matters. If we chase the voices of everybody around us, which changes by the wind anyway, We are going to be chasing our tail. But Jesus is saying there's one voice that matters. When we think about the approval that that we want, this identity, this approval, there's one voice that matters. We have an audience of one. God and God alone. His voice matters. And what has he said? You are my son. You are my daughter. I love you. I'm pleased with you. Come to me. It's the only voice that matters. And lastly, the evil one came at Jesus with this temptation to ambition. Verse 8, again, the devil took him to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now, this is kind of an interesting temptation, isn't it? Because what Satan is offering Jesus isn't really his to give. 
that actually already belongs to Jesus. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. And because of what he's gonna do while he's here on earth, he's gonna bring that redemptive mission to fulfillment on the cross. And every name is gonna bow down to him on heaven and on earth and under the earth. He's gonna be the name above every other name. But here's what the evil one is saying. He's saying, let's do it my way. Like, I, I, I think that Satan's just sitting there saying, I know I'm a defeated foe. I have no shot in this game, but let's just do it my way. Let's just do this without the cross. Jesus, we'll just save a lot of time. Just worship me and I'll back away. Let your kingdom come. But Jesus said, no, that is not my father's plan. I trust him. I'm gonna do it the way that he has asked me to do it. Because he knew eventually he was gonna get what was promised, the name above every name, a temptation to ambition. Friends, I just want to say ambition, wanting to be great in life, wanting to be great even in God's eyes is not a bad thing. Ambition is actually a really good thing, a really good thing. I love that story of Jesus and the disciples when they were kind of arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God, like who's going to be the best? You can see that heart of ambition. And I love that Jesus never rebuked them for their heart to want to be great. And I think inside he's saying, that's awesome that you want to be great. But let me define for you what great looks like in my kingdom. It means laying down your life for people. The person who wants to be first is going to be last. And the greatest is going to be the servant of all. That's how it works in my kingdom. So when we think about ambition in life, there's lots of things that we can chase after. Money, power, influence. Those things can be great if we're leveraging those for God's kingdom. But we can't try to build God's kingdom and our kingdom at the same time. And the evil one is going to continually try to get us to the place where we want to grab after that temptation of wanting to be great in the eyes of people. Personally ambitious versus kingdom ambitious. He's going to come after you in the same way that he came after Jesus. And he's got other ploys as well. But I want us to focus on one thing as we wrap up here. The one place where Jesus went over and over and over again was right here. His, the identity of the father and his identity as the son. This is what we've got to continually shape our life around, mold our life around. We've got to know this. We've got to know who God is. We've got to know what he's like. We've got to know what it is that he's done for us. And we also need to know who does God say that we are? What does he want from us? What is, he, what is it that he's saying to us? And how does he want us to respond to that? That's got to be on the forefront of our mind. And this is what was amazing to me is that every time that Jesus was tempted with something, he came back with what? He came back with scripture. He came back with God's truth. This is what's true about God. This is what's true about me. This is what's true about life. And I, I kind of get this picture. It was like Jesus' life was like a sponge and he was just completely immersed in this truth. Truth of who God is, what he's like, and what he's done for him. And this is what happened. When Jesus was tempted, when his life was squeezed, what is it that came out? The truth came out. 
Why? Because his life was immersed in that truth. And friends, I think about our lives too. We are just like this sponge. We are soaking up things, messages every day. But the question is, are those messages God's messages for us? What is it that we're soaking up? We are filling our lives with something. We are full of something. What is it? But Jesus would say, fill your life with truth so that when you get squeezed, that's what comes out of your life and nothing else. And here's where it lands, friends. The truth that we have, the way that God has defined who he is and who we are, it comes from the scriptures. And now I, I was just thinking about, am I, am I gonna be that pastor that just stands up there and just says, read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. You know you're supposed to read your Bible. But can I say this? I wanna say it very differently than that. Don't just read your Bible. Get to know God. Get to know him. Get to know the Father this good father that loves you. Get to know his son. Get to know the Holy Spirit. God has chosen to reveal himself through his scriptures. Allow the truth of God's scriptures to permeate your life. And there's just simple ways that I try to do that in my life. Just every day, I try to do this every day, is just spend time reading his word and reminding myself what is true about him, what is true about me. And asking two simple questions that you hear me say over and over again, and I'm not going to stop. God, what are you saying to me? God, what is your message for me today? And God, what do you want me to do about it? How do you want me to respond? Because I know that I can, as I continue to be that sheep that listens to the good shepherd, hears his voice and follows him, he's going to lead me away from temptation and lead me into ways of righteousness. That's what God wants for us. That's what God wants for you. I want to give you an opportunity to just put your things aside and take a little time of reflection and just ask God right now those two questions that I just said. God, what is it that you're saying to me? God, what is the message? Where did your spirit nudge me today as I listen to your word? And what is it, God, that you want me to do? Father, I just want to thank you that you are a God that cares that you are a God that moves toward us, that is in our corner as the evil one tries to create doubt in our hearts and minds about who you are and about who we are. God, I just want to pray for me and I want to pray for my friends that are here. God, we just want to ask for your protection and your deliverance from the lies of this evil one. God, we want to believe what is true what is true about you and what is true about us. Because God, quite honestly, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. God, we are standing on your truth today as your children. You say to us as your children, just like you said to Jesus, I love you. I'm well pleased with you. You are my son. You are my daughter. And we just soak that in today as a reminder that, God, you are for us. We love you, God. And it's in your son's powerful and risen name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. 
For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.